This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions and We Own This Town. I am Jason T. Mears, Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? Dude. My dude. It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm sitting here in this room with you getting ready to talk about some Bill and Ted. That's right. We're back for another sweet episode of San Dimas Today. We've got a great interview coming up, but uh, but first, I believe we wanted to discuss a little guitar shredding, didn't we? Yeah, you know, uh, I like guitars. I like the sound that they make. I think they look pretty. I appreciate it when people can play them well. Yeah. I, I can't do any of those things. <laughs> um, well, you know I love guitars, right? Yeah, yeah. You have a couple, don't you? I have a few. Um, one that's uh, especially baby blue, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but... Uh, um, not that not that I would consider myself a shredder or a great guitar player, but I do love playing guitar. Okay. Well, I think you're very good at it, sir. <laughs> you know how good I wish I was? I wish I was good as Steve Salas, Jim Martin, and Steve Vai. I wish I was as good as you, so I guess there's a, there's a ladder that we're going on. <clears throat> well, you know, one rung at a time, my friend. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Something uh, people might not know about Kelly and his guitar playing, he is left-handed. But uh, you play your guitar as if you were right-handed, right? Is I do, it, yeah. because it makes more sense to me that way. No. I believe my dominant hand should be on the fretboard and okay. not picking the guitar. But uh, feel free to disagree, listeners. We'll welcome your feedback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, Kelly, well, I won't, huh? No, uh, no absolutely. And speaking of feedback on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we heard back from a listener with some input from one of our most recent episodes. We did. We did. Uh, we uh, had... When we were talking about uh, Beethoven, you were talking about uh, the scene in the uh, music store where he's playing at the keyboard, fiddling mm-hmm. around, and then it goes from uh, that into Extreme's Play With Me. Right. And you had posited that maybe the intro to Play With Me was a Beethoven piece. Right. But, like, in a perfect world, that's what it would be, right? Right. Um, but as our listener Kurt pointed out, it is actually Mozart. Okay. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. I don't know the difference, man. So, <laughs> is there any reason Beethoven wouldn't be playing a Mozart piece? No, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> did we check up on that? <laughs> no, we did. Are we going to be hearing from Kurt again yeah, now? Uh, oh, I, I guarantee. No matter what we do, we will be hearing from Kurt again. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, thank you, Kurt. We I appreciate that clarification. Um, I did look that up afterwards. And don't steal know, his thunder. Do I'm not sorry. steal his thunder. Sorry, Kurt. Keep calling us out. We love to call each other out. And we're actually going to have a whole episode later on where we're going to do that exact thing. I don't know if it's going to be a whole episode. Maybe it'll just be like a segment on an episode. So <laughs> We're going to go back and see how wrong we really were about everything. Which, uh, <laughs> if history has taught us anything, it's that we've been wrong about everything. That's so. right. If only we had a time-traveling phone booth. Yes. I know. I know. Uh, so, these, these men who shred... You know, the Bill and Ted's movies, uh, one of the great features, right, is that Bill and Ted are probably the greatest air guitar players in the history of cinema. I mean, didn't they almost create it? I, I don't know. I feel like it. Would there be air guitar championships? Like, I'm serious. Professional air guitar championships without the Bill and Ted movies? No, there would not be. Okay. No, there would not be. The, the guy who did all the shredding in the first movie is a dude named Steve Salas, who is just a, an incredible L.A. studio musician. Um, and he ends up doing the solo that Rufus plays at the end, which is fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Which I believe those are Steve's hands and guitar, obviously, that you see. But uh, uh, 
nice to imagine Rufus having that that kind of uh, skill and, and ability. Yeah, it's part of that uh, Hollywood beautiful um, fakery where they do the body close up whenever anybody <laughs> is playing an instrument. But you know, in the Bill and Ted utopian future, everybody has to shred, right? Absolutely. I mean, why would you not? <laughs> Music is so important that you're going to learn the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. And so the second movie comes along, and we've got different guitar players. You have the one and only Steve Vai, who we've talked about in a previous podcast, mm-hmm. um, mentor to Dweezil Zappa, mm-hmm. student of Frank Zappa. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you have Jim Martin from Faith No More. Which we've also talked about in a previous episode. That's right. These men could shred. <laughs> they could shred, and they did shred. So right. let me ask you this. Bill and Ted face the music. Who do you get to shred? You know, I, I I didn't really look and see what old Steve's up to, um, Salas. Yeah. But uh, might dip back into that Steve Vywell. That's think so? probably where I go. Hmm. All right. I, I feel like he, my gamble would be that he would get the nod. Okay. But, but well, if you could maybe maybe somebody new. Maybe is that what you're yeah, asking? Yeah, I mean, like if you if, go more no, contemporary, you could go either way. If you want to go back to one of the original <laughs> could, films, could we get a Stephen Malkmus shredding? Oh, it would my. be a little lazier, but <laughs> but maybe indicative of growing older, right? Right. I mean, if you're doing that, then I'd also throw out <laughs> Courtney Barnett. I mean, okay. That, yeah, that yeah. That's fair. Too. I, I mean, would take gonna, that. If yeah. you're going to go that way, then mm-hmm. bow show. <laughs> um, so why are we talking about music right now? Um, well, one, music's really important to Bill and Ted. Yeah. Like it, it, it is the uh, reason that Bill and Ted exist and like the, their main right. thing. They're musicians. Right. And I love the, the decisions that were made by whoever involved um, to get, you know, musicians acting and having cameos in the movie. Like all, all that lends itself to the Bill and Ted. They love music. And they if, love music. And if you're going to do a movie about music... You know what you need? A top-notch composer. That's right. And boy, did they ever get a top-notch composer. I mean, one of the greatest composers working today, for sure. That's right. Not only prolific, but uh, incredibly talented. Right. We're talking about David Newman. He's done over 100 films in his career. Uh, Incredible stuff from when we were young. Tommy Boy, um, uh, Serenity, Galaxy Quest. Uh, and doing stuff now, um, like things that I'm seeing over and over again, thanks to my daughter's penchant for watching the Scooby-Doo movies on repeat. Uh, th- this guy is all over the map, and he has done such an amazing job in these films of like being the hand behind the scenes that guides you emotionally as you're watching mm-hmm. these films. He's just so good. And why are we talking about David Newman? Because we interviewed David Newman. We- and you're about to hear that interview. We got to talk to David Newman. This is incredible. Um, so what is about to follow is roughly 30 minutes of pure informational joy. Uh, we learned so much, not only about the making of the movie and uh, Stephen Herrick's like uh, singular vision for the film, but also how uh, David got into composing and uh, you know what he's doing now. He even talks about a little right, bit right. about uh, you know the odds of Bill and Ted three. So why, why don't you spoil the entire interview? I'm sorry, I'm just so excited. This thing is so great. Uh, <laughs> All right, so here you go. This is our interview with David Newman. Excellent, David Newman. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, glad to do it. So, how did you get into composing? I uh, I, I come from a film music family, but. I had no intention of writing film music or honestly any kind of music. I had no intention of being a composer. I wanted to be a conductor. 
and I was making a living as a violinist in Los Angeles in my 20s. So from about after I graduated undergraduate, um, I got a degree in violin performance and I just started working in the studios here like a bunch of us did um, that were in town and had made connections and, and all that. And um, so I worked in the studios from about late 76 to about 83 or 84. And then I just decided that was going nowhere. My conducting stuff was going nowhere. I, I'd learned a lot. I got a master's degree also at SC um, in conducting. And I was studying privately, very diligently conducting, um, which has been a passion of mine all my life, sort of, you know, on and off, uh, which is now very glad I did it because of all the conducting I'm doing now with uh, films with live orchestra. But for me, film music was a decision. I just decided that I was going to try. So in those days, there really wasn't much of a sampler technology. I mean, there was if you were kind of really on the fringes or if you were a pop music producer or something, it was it was somewhat easier. But the only way to demo anything w was to get live musicians and just overdub and overdub on on two inch tape, 24 track tape. And of course, I had a lot of friends that were um, uh, instrumentalists that I'd grown up with playing, you know, weddings and church jobs and studio gigs and all kinds of stuff. So I got a bunch of people together and I recorded a demo of three different three different pieces or two different pieces. And what one was kind of uh, in the style of that sort of late 70s um, wasn't really Star Wars, but it was it was a big, huge, you know, lush orchestra piece. And one was kind of a horror movie um, cue, which was kind of. Um, uh, there was a lot of horror movies at that time, so it, it seemed another good genre to do. But it really took me about four or five years to learn how to get through it at all, because I really had no experience um, composing. And it's sort of interesting because I'm I'm very interested in, in uh, Alfred Newman. Alfred Newman was my father. He mm -hmm. died in 1970, but um, I'm very interested in how he came to Hollywood. Uh, he was in Hollywood in 1930. Him and Steiner were one of the first of that generation to be here. And my father had been a pit conductor in New York uh, and also had no real experience actually composing. He had experience arranging for musical theater to a, for, for a, a, a bit. But he had to learn how to do it um, as well. And that's completely unlike my brother, Tom, Thomas, who was composing n normally, you know, as a, as a teenager and then as, and went to school and studied composition. And, you know, it was a really different kind of last minute thing for me. And then I got a, I got a, um, a couple of like industrial films just because that was kind of stuff that was happening, like political films and other things that were sort of going on at the, at the, at the time. And then I got, um, uh, that Steve Herrick film, his first film, which was Critters, which was, I think the studio was new world. Um, it was Bob Shea, um, who, you know, eventually ended up doing, they, they did Lord of the Rings, uh, famously way later, mm -hmm. but 
that was that was how I met Steve, and that's how I ended up getting, uh, you know, being on Bill and Ted. I mean, b- basically, Critters and another movie I did, which was an animated Disney film called Brave Little Toaster. I did very early on, and I kind of learned how to write on those movies. So it was very late in my life. That that's that's really cool that you made that decision. You were able to actually make it happen. That's very impressive. Yeah, I I I don't dispute that I come from a family where it's it's no one's going to say don't do it. You're an idiot. You know, you're, <laughs> do it. But and I'm not saying I didn't have any help, but it was it was really really difficult for me. It was very difficult to learn how to orchestrate, even though I had had orchestration training, there is just no way to teach orchestration. All you can do is trial and error. You know, you, you do the best you can and you, you learn from your mistakes because your mistakes are um, so humiliating, um, which is a really good thing in a way um, to, uh, in terms of, of, of learning. If you can stand the pain and humiliation of making a mistake, it's where you learn the most quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So I learned it. I mean, look, I'm a trained music. My, my father made sure Tom and I and my sister, we were all trained very early on. All of us played violin. We all played in orchestras. We all knew the repertoire. We, you know, my dad made sure that we were um, trained and my mom particularly implemented it. So I'm not saying that, you know, we didn't, I I had the training to figure this out. It wasn't like I was, you know, didn't have any training, Mm -hmm. but, but I never thought of myself as a, as a, as a composer. I, it just, it was a, it was a hard, it's still hard for me to think of myself as a composer, which I also think it was hard for my father, for Alfred in that we're, it's such this, this throwing around of the word of artist and genius and da 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 when so much of film music is about craft and and and, and craft being a wonderful word and a wonderful kind of um uh way to be to work as a as a as a person uh, in in an, in an, in an arts field uh 99% of it is slogging through stuff and trying to make things work when it's not easy, you know, and changing and revising and um, and then, you know, you, you pull movies into the mix, which are so little understood what, what, what a movie is. I mean, I mean, there there is a path to learn, but it you really have to find your own voice in it somehow. And so all that went into that. But I would say by the time I got through Critters and then Throw Mama from the Train, which was my first film with DeVito, yeah. which went on to be a great relationship. And Steve, and then and then Bill and, and Bill and Ted, which was, you know, had a very tortured history. I, I assume you guys know about that. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, spoke to Chris Matheson a, a few weeks yeah. ago, and, you know, we, we've we've lived and breathed Bill and Ted for decades now. So, yeah, we, we, we are very familiar. I think Steve was just, Steve, I don't know if you've talked to Herrick, to Steve, but Not- he's like, He's like a bulldog. He just would not give up. Nobody understood that movie except him. We we got that impression from uh, Chris Matheson for sure. He said he, he was the perfect director for it, and he had talked about earlier directors who tried taking a stab at it and just got it all wrong. But mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you guys got it completely right. The script read really smart and sophisticated, 
for some reason, when you read the script, it, it seemed kind of like Harvard, you know, comedy, like, like writers from Saturday Night Live or, or, or Second City. It seemed irreverent and like sarcastic. And that just wasn't Steve's take on it. Steve's take was the, the kind of love for music and, and, um, these kind of idiot guys that are, you know, that, that obviously spawned. I mean, you can, you know, you can see what it spawned after it, you know, after it came out, but my God, it was like torture. Um, <laughs> for Steve, I think just, um, trying to, trying to make the marketing people understand what it was. And, um, I mean, we had a great time scoring it, and 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 I think that the the post production wasn't tortured. It just was sort of the after once the movie was kind of done. It just it's it's hard to describe because it, I think everyone that read the script had this impression of what it was, and it just wasn't what it was. But somehow it read that that's what it what it was. It it is sophisticated in a way, but it's not it's not this irreverent. I don't, I don't want to use the word cynical. And, and of course, we're looking at from our point of view now, uh, way in the future. But it, 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 Steve had a really clear concept that was hard to describe to anybody, it seemed like. That, that was my impression of it. Yeah, and, and I can totally see that as a fan of the film, especially the first one. It, it's just it's it's powered by pure joy almost. I could see how right. you could take the, the concept and look at it and say, okay, this guy's being cynical about the, these two dumb kids. But it, it's the power of that movie is like their just pure joy. Right, and, their, their lovability. Right. Yeah. It, it's not right. It's not like Zelig or what was that movie, Zelig, the, the Zemeckis movie? Was that, uh, was that that movie or um, the one where the guy, well, like Forrest Gump, you know, mm-hmm. he's always in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So the script sort of read like they're just so lucky and all this great stuff happens to them. And yeah, it's motivated, but there's just they're just kind of floating through. And I think Steve really played what you said, the joy of it, the love of the the love of music, even though they don't know what they're doing, that that's the fundamental, you know, driver of culture It's just the love of the thing. And. Some people are better at it than others. Some people have more training. Some people have more education. But still, the bottom line is just the, the, the love of it. And I think that's what Steve, he's a very unusual director. Everything I did with Steve was really thoughtful on his part and really not unexpected. I don't think he gets credit enough credit for what he accomplished or it has accomplished, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I don't hear him discussed enough. Obviously we love these movies. We're, we're here doing an entire show about it, but you know, it just, uh, formative for us for sure. Right. Right. What, what, what age group are you guys? How old are you guys? Oh, we're forties. We're, we're yeah. 40 years old, right yeah. on the dot. Right. So we're, so yeah, I'm in my 60s. So, it, but it, it was way early on for me, you know, as well. It just, it, it, I, I, I came at it as a, you know, a craftsperson working on it, you know, as a composer working on it. And then I know, you know, you, you, you would notice Saturday Night Live and, you know, uh, Wayne's World and all, all this mm-hmm. stuff that sort mm-hmm. of became, and then, and then Judd Apatow, 
all that all that kind of buddy silly stuff is derived from Bill and Ted. I th- yeah, no, th- those kinds of movies aren't aren't really made. I guess th- it's th- th- they are sort of made, but they're they're a little raunchier and hipper and meaner in a way uh, it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's there was an there was an era of of movies at that point um i remember tommy boy um i came in really late it was very 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 tempt there's lots of influences in that score from other stuff um but i remember doing that and and i got a note from lauren michaels because it was it was you know was coneheads before that or after that i think i think coneheads was before that it was, so yep. that was lauren michaels and i'd done that and that was just i mean i really liked the score for coneheads but it was just it was it was really tricky working on that uh, you know but tommy boy just you know but i remember getting getting a note lauren we, we we went to a preview and we got to chat with with um with uh, Chris Farley and David Spade and it was so it was so cool at the time we were young and it was really my wife and I was on the Paramount lot and it was really fun and then Lauren Michaels um, wrote me a note and it said sometimes we get it right and I thought that you know, that there there were there were a couple of movies like that that I did. Like like Bowfinger was another movie. Oh yeah, that was like torture to do, but it it's just there's there was a there's a sense of like you there's a sense of joy in it. Just it it's 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 irreverent. It's funny. It it doesn't hold punches, but it's 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 joyous in a way, you know. And mm-hmm. that was that era. And I think. I think Bill and Ted was sort of—I don't know—I'd have to look at the, the the movies before, but it sort of was the beginning. I, I, I think Steve sort of understood this—that that the the heart of the movie is the heart of the movie, not not obviously it needs to be funny and and it needs to have a good story, and you need to cast it correctly, obviously. Um, you know that Chris Farley and David Spade were just—you know—it's like gold. Those guys together, like like Keanu and and, and um, Alex. Um, so you you definitely need need that. But it was it it was a, it was a little bit of a different sensibility, I think, to where it's sort of gone now. Obviously, the music is all you know '80s and '90s film scoring, which is like miles different than what you can do now. Um, that's another conversation, and that's it. There, there are other there are other reasons for that, but but Bill and Ted is still sort of, um, I mean, it's eclectic, but it's still sort of um, thematically based or light motive based. It, it 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 has recurring motives and 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 and, and music um, that's somewhat identifiable, which it just not the way it is now. When you signed on to do Bogus Journey, um, you know you ha- you have a different director with that movie, uh, Peter Hewitt. How how did that differ from doing uh, Excellent Adventure? I hardly ever even spoke to Peter Hewitt. It was um, Scott Kruth who shepherded that movie, and and it it was it was a much bigger orchestra. Uh, it, how many years after the first one was that one? The Bogus Bogus came out in ninety one, I think. I think. 
Right. So it's about five years. When when did Bill and Ted come out? Well, that was so that was released eighty nine, right? But you filmed it right. a lot. It was, Earlier. I think it's done in 87. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so yeah, about four or five years. Yeah. So it, it was a long time before they figured out a, a, a sequel such as it is. And, and, and the sequel is a whole different, I think, kettle of fish because it's so gothic and grand. And, and you know, there are these, you know, huge set pieces of, of heaven and hell. And, and um, it, it was it's just a different I think it's a different it's a different sort of movie. I, I do really like the score to. um bogus adventure um there, there are cues in that that i really really um to this day i still like which most of the stuff i write i don't i don't really like but um uh but it was a completely different experience where the first one i was working on basically only with steve um this one was more with scott and peter a little bit but kind of not it was kind of quicker it was done. It, it was more showing up at the session and doing the score. Hmm. Where Steve, it was it was really a, it was really a different experience. I, I'm not. I'm. Uh, I, I I love the second film too. It's just a, it's just a different. It's a different kind of. Uh, it was a different kind of experience. That's really interesting. It, it, it's it's amazing what a a different director or a, even a different studio, I guess, at right. that point, <clears throat> and a bigger budget. I'm assuming too. It was a bigger budget. It was still Interscope, right? But it was – did somebody else distribute it? Yeah, the, the first one had been uh, filmed and then it was in the can for a while because the uh, studio went bankrupt and they got picked up by New Line, I believe, or Orion. Uh -huh. And then uh, – so whoever did the second one, I think Kelly's looking it up now, but there, there was some uh, definite differences there. And it was, and it really was a different movie because it was so grand. You know, it was so they decided to go really big. You know, grand, grand with it, which I don't think is a, I didn't think that was a bad decision. It was great for music. I mean, there was great music stuff to do in it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I think the hell, the two hell and heaven sequences. I think that we scored were much longer than ended up in the film, um, but it was and 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 that whole thing with the rabbit and the military <laughs> thing. And, and I, I love the beginning, the beginning, the Bill and Ted university, but the whole opening into the Bill and Ted university stuff was great fun to write and, and, and to do. And by that time I was kind of doing five or six movies a year. So I was kind of, I, I was more experienced by then, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a little bit later. It was a little bit later into my career, obviously, and I was a little I was a little more uh, comfortable with what I was what, with what I was doing. So um, I'm not saying I'm not saying I think it's any better or anything. I just it just was a it's a whole different it's a whole different vibe. Right. It's, it was more it was more of a bunch of people working on something. The first one was just Steve Herrick dragging everyone along with them five five movies a year that's a breakneck pace that's got to be kind of crazy were you, were you doing some of them at the same time or were you, were you focused on one and then yeah, move on to the next no it, lots of people now i'm not working as much now because the movies that i used to do aren't really being made but people that are working now are doing four or five six movies a year you know maybe i'm doing two or three a year now but um uh you know you it it it, it ebbs and flows the the career of a of a of a film composer. You you have your ups and downs. Everyone does. Uh, uh, 
maybe with the exception of John Williams, but you know, <laughs> even Goldsmith did, and and Alan Silvestri did. I, I mean, I, you know, so um, you kind of do what you have to do, and and um, you can generally um, juggle a couple of films because no one's schedule ever stays the same. I think there's a great story. Um, I don't I don't know if you know this, but you know Basil Polidorus, the composer. Do you know who that is? I am unfamiliar, sadly. I apologize. Did he did Conan Conan the Barbarian? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, anyway, big. He he died fairly young, um, unfortunately. Wonderful guy. Anyway, he was he was uh, contracted to do Dances with Wolves. Do you know that movie? Yes. Oh yeah, Tatanka. Okay, so so that that's an Academy Award movie if there ever was one. Mm-hmm. Whoever did the score, mm-hmm. and his. John Milius, his his best friend and who gave him his break, had another film. And so he he had to get off Dances with Wolves to do this other film. This Flight of the Navigator was called that John Milius did. Oh, we know Flight of, of the Navigator. Schedule. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So because of scheduling uh, issues and then Flight of the Navigator moved uh, a year. So he could have done um you know, for Kevin Costner, who was the director, he could have done Dances with Wolves. So a lot of us look at these things and say, you know, they say it's going to be here and here and here and just hell with it. You know, we're just we're just going to punt and, and hope for the best, you know. So because no one no one's saying they don't have to do the movie here at, at this exact date. It just it's everything's porous. So. When, when you when you are building a career, hopefully you have an agent that's has some oomph and can help you and you just hope for the best. You know, you don't try to not do something because of the schedule. If you can help it. So that's how that's how that was. So <clears throat> for me, all through the late 80s and 90s and up till about 2010, I was doing like five or six movies a year. Some would overlap, but I never had a situation where it was not doable, ever. It always, something always moved around to where it was possible, you know? And you you, you, you have to be very disciplined and schedule and um, careful, but um, that's sort of the way, that's sort of the way it was. It certainly seems to have worked for you, you know? Um, one, one thing I did want to ask you about, what I noticed is that you scored Galaxy Quest, and it's that director who's yeah. actually attached to Bill and Ted Three, and I didn't know if, if anyone's yes. approached you about scoring the, the that movie. If that movie gets made, great. I think we will do it. It's just it's just a matter just because movies are announced, as you know, right? Doesn't mean that doesn't mean they're they're going to get you know going to get made. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I th- there's. That movie, there, there's a script, I think, and they're working on it, but it doesn't mean that it will for sure get made. Well, I, I assume at some point there will be there will be a sequel because I think I think the actors want to do it. So um, I think it's just a matter of of uh, you know I, I I've I've been through a lot of this stuff with remakes and you know we were going to do a TV show of Galaxy Quest right I, I and Alan that. Rickman died yep that got that got really close. Had Alan Rickman not died, that we very well, very well might be doing it. But then you know, Seth MacFarlane made uh, the Orville, and which is kind of close to you know. Yeah. You just never, you never, you never know about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've learned, I've learned not to uh, predict um, 
any anything. You know, people get all amped up and they want to, you know, book you and they want to do all this stuff. And then you, then you hear nothing, you know, and, and so you, it, when you work a lot, you, you kind of figure this out that everything's in, in flux until they actually start shooting and they start spending money. And once they start spending money, then, then it's a go. <laughs> well, promise us that if you need somebody to spearhead a letter writing campaign, that you will contact us because we're your guys. We will do this. We will. Know, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I think the script is really good. Yeah. So I, it, it, um, not that I read it, but, but it, you know, um, it would, it would be a blast to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Dean, Dean, Dean Pariseau is the perfect person aside from Steve, I guess that, that would, you know, to, to do something, you know, irreverent with it. We right? absolutely agree. Yeah. It seems like a great match. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, Chris told us, it sounds like they've got a couple more hoops to get through before they can actually start yeah. shooting. I think there's probably more than a couple. I think it's <laughs> probably, you know, yeah. so well, but yeah. it doesn't mean it's a, it's a good property. I, I think it will eventually get, get made, especially in the, our culture with the, the, the sequel kind of thing. It's it's a it's a perfect thing to sequel. Mm-hmm. If you come agree. up with a good idea, if they come up with a good idea. <laughs> David, we want to thank you so much for for coming on and speaking with us. This has been amazing. We we really appreciate it. Uh, thank I, you so much. So I'm glad you guys are doing this. I think um, I think these Bill and Ted's are are very much underrated and deserve to be looked at and unpacked a little bit um, because I think they were. Very, very, very influential in um, our culture. Uh, we couldn't have said it better ourselves. Thank you so much. All right, man. Thank you. Okay, later. Thanks. Right. Was I wrong? You were not wrong. That was in. That was so cool. And I think he's a fan of our podcast. It sounded like it to me. We have our first official fan. That's right, David Newman. You are a friend of the pod. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, I not only loved hearing about uh, Stephen Herrick and what effect his directing had on the actual movie and right. creating it to the actual, what we know and love. Right. Like how cool was hearing his perspective on all of that? Right. I, I'll be honest. I was not expecting it. I was not <laughs> expecting to learn something like that. Then hearing the anecdote about Lauren Michaels, a Tommy boy, yeah. Tommy boy is one of my all time favorites. Mm-hmm. And just, just hearing about that was great. And how cool is it that he's already worked with, uh, Dean Parasot, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, mm-hmm. who's been tapped to uh, direct Bill and Ted face the music. Yep. I mean, hopefully we'll get some uh, continuity there with Mr. Newman doing all three Bill and Ted Right, films. right. Hopefully so. You know, he didn't seem to know. I, I don't want to say he was cynical about the uh, prospects of the third movie, but he just, you know, he's he's not counting his chickens until it happens because that's, that's Hollywood, baby. It is. It, I feel like at this point, there are only two people on the planet that are really getting their hopes up for Bill and Ted face the music. And that is Jason T. Mears Esquire and Kelly Hoyle Bullock. <laughs> but it's going to happen. Yeah. Alex Winter seems really excited on Twitter, too. Yeah. Alex Winter. Alex Winter, are you out there? Give us a call, buddy. Give us a call. <laughs> All right. Kelly, this has been an... Uh, an uh, I'm so excited we got to talk to that guy. Right. Um, uh, fantastic episode. Um, you know, we always want to thank uh, Scott Bricklin and Scooby Tunes Music for letting us use Walk Away. It's the... Uh, the riff that never stops riffing. It, it does not. I hear that every time we start this thing, and it immediately jazzes me up. 
We also want to thank Michael Leeds and We Own This Town uh, for producing this podcast and getting us out there to you, the listeners. Please go to weownthistown.net. Lots of, lots of great podcasts on there. And as always, people, please be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at San Dimas Today. Stream it on Spotify. All right. I'll make it work. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'm done. <laughs> well, I got two weeks to edit that, so it's fine. You start tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit.